0: Hey, everybody, thanks for joining me today on the How Much Greater podcast. This is Mark Scott. Today's episode will be a Mark's message, which will be a little bit longer than the usual. Before we jump into today's content, I want to remind you to follow us on Twitter at How Much Greater. I also invo- invite you to join our Facebook group and, of course, subscribe to this podcast on Podbean or find us on iTunes by searching for How Much Greater with Mark Scott. And remember, that's Mark with a C. Hey, so we're continuing on in our series of John, and we are in John chapter eleven, a pretty fascinating and remarkable account of what happens with a man named Lazarus. So this is the raising of Lazarus. This one is going to Lazarus. This one's going to be entitled "Take Away the Stone." Take away the stone. All right, so let's jump in here, and uh, what we see going on here, just to kind of unpack this at first, in verse two, Mary, the sister of Lazarus, is the same woman who poured perfume on Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. So to put that in perspective, that's who we're talking about there. And we have this counterintuitive expression of love right off the bat in verses 5 and 6 because we know that Jesus loved Mary and Jesus loved Martha and Jesus loved Lazarus because the writer tells us that. And... At the same time, when it's time for him to go visit Lazarus, who is dying, who is sick, instead, he stays where he is. He stays where he is instead of going to them. And the the purpose of the sickness that Lazarus has, the Bible tells us, combined with God's uncomfortable timing, (laughs) to put it mildly, is to bring glory to God. And God's glory trumps our convenience. And so verse 11 says this, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. This is Jesus talking. But I am going there to wake him up. Now, it's really odd here, this language that's used. Uh, he says fallen asleep, and which is usually a euphemism for death, but even the disciples were kind of confused by that. I'm not really sure. My question in this, when you look at verses 13 and 14, is why didn't Jesus just come out and say that he had died instead of fell asleep? Because uh, why didn't he just say that from the beginning? and, And why risk any confusion? But for whatever reason, that's the language he uses. He does come out. He clarifies for everybody. Makes it very clear. Lazarus is dead. And not only that, verse 17 tells us Lazarus has been dead four days by the time Jesus arrives. In verse 21, Martha tells Jesus that Lazarus would still be alive if he had been there. And Mary repeats this same claim in verse 32 later. So, so they have this point there. Jesus, why weren't you here? If you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. He wouldn't have died. And now we're facing this. Um, this is actually an account and that carries a lot of meaning for me. Um, I spoke at my grandmother's funeral years ago, and this was one of the verses that stood out to me uh, about Jesus allowing certain things to happen the the way he does. Then there's this verse in verse 22 where it's kind of turning. Martha says, but now I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. So there's still this, this light of faith. It seems to be this ray of hope for Martha, which is pretty miraculous considering that Lazarus is dead. And, and then in verse 25, huge, huge verse, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And so as it continues on, Mary and Martha and Jesus, they have this this mourning, this emotional encounter uh, outside of the village. And we learn, you know, famously, there's the shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. And it's right here in chapter 11, verse 35. And then we have the contrast of two reactions that unfolds here in thirty six and thirty seven. You look at it, and on the one hand, you go, "Wow, he must have really loved Lazarus for the emotion that he showed." And then you've got, on the other hand, people still saying, "If he had really loved Lazarus, how would he have allowed this? He would have kept him from dying." It's human nature, right? This is so so real to the human reality. Verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. And then there's this dramatic declaration and scene that unfolds here. Take away the stone, he said. Take away the stone in verse 39. And Martha sensibly replies (laughs) that if you do that, it's going to be a really strong odor. There's going to be a really bad smell if you move that stone away. Lazarus has been dead um, for four days. You know, he's been in the tomb for four days. So I don't know if that's a great idea. And Jesus says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? If you believed, you would see the glory of God. And so there's this truth that behind the stone, there are two things. And one of those things is a gross, uncomfortable reality smelly death. And the other thing that is behind the stone is the glory of God. And when the stone is moved away, both are revealed. I mean, how is this for an analogy for life, right? How often do we not go, uh, we don't get to realize the second reality, number two, what's behind door number two, because we don't want to deal with what's behind door number one. So we leave the stone in place just due to a lack of faith. We don't want to deal with the gross, uncomfortable reality, so we also don't see the glory of God, because we'd rather just not move the stone at all. When the stone is removed, the stone is moved away, both of those things are revealed. Verse 44 Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now, um, as you know, a theme of mine throughout the Gospel of John and throughout this podcast has been this whole idea of religion against relationship. Jesus taking on. Religion, And so I'm going to do something I usually wouldn't do, and that's read quite a bit of this that's left here. In John chapter 11, you might hear some pages turning as I do this because I'm actually reading out of a real Bible, um, not an app. In John chapter 11, starting in verse 45, I want you to hear these words as I uh, unpack some of this for you. It says, Therefore, after all of this happens, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him but some of them went to the pharisees and told them what jesus had done then the chief priest and the pharisees called a meeting of the sanhedrin it's probably one of the most religious things that you can do is call a meeting <laughs> what are we accomplishing they asked how is it how is this man performing many miraculous signs if we let him go on like this everyone will believe in him and then the romans will come and take away both our place and our nation It's about power, control, territory. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own. But as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God, to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. He just raised somebody from the dead. He has done all these other miraculous healings that we've seen. And they want to kill him. Verse 54 Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the Jews. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the desert, to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus. As they stood in the temple area, they asked one another, what do you think? Isn't he coming to the feast at all? Final verse is the clincher here. But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone found out where Jesus was, he should report it so that they might arrest him. The emphasis that becomes clear Throughout John's gospel is this theme that I keep mentioning of Jesus versus religion. And here it is again vividly. You have Jesus on the one hand who is supernatural, and you have religion on the other hand that is man-made. You have Jesus who is others-centered, and religion that is self-centered. You have Jesus who raises up others, and religion that brings others down. You have Jesus who is all about freedom and releasing people, and you have religion that's all about power and control and compliance. And this passage that I just read to you is a sad commentary on the human condition when religion is in control. So in some of my recent learning in cognitive behavioral therapy, there there's this framework that are that it goes like this: our thoughts and our feelings and our behaviors are all interrelated. And a simple premise is that while we may assume that an activity, sorry, an activating event leads to a response. With no time for us to think in between, the truth is that there's an automatic thought that occurs, which guides our behavior and and our emotional reaction. And furthermore, these thoughts can be built upon cognitive distortions, if you will, that, that are constantly running these scripts of underlying beliefs. See, most of what we think, most of what we feel, most of what we do can be driven by these underlying beliefs. Which may or may not be rational, which may be helpful or may be hurtful, which may be grounded in fear or, or a false sense of reality. And if there are underlying fears or, or shame or insecurity, which may not even be consciously realized, then religion can appear to be a steady force. It can appear to be a necessary structure that someone can become dependent upon. It appears as order. It appears as structure. It appears as safety. All of the while, it's pushing away the real salvation. It's pushing away the real transformation of the heart and the renewing of the mind that is brought by Jesus Christ. You see that going on here in this passage. It's an amazing, remarkable turn of events. Thanks so much for listening to me today. Have a great day.